Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson from SaveWithConrad.com. Heads up, homeowners, all of a sudden your house is worth more than ever these last few years. But what are we going to do with that newfound equity? No, I'm not suggesting you sell your house or go buy something else. But didn't we all make this decision when we bought a house where we said, hey, someday we'd like to, and one day it would be nice if, maybe it's the dream kitchen, maybe it's an in-ground pool, maybe it's a man cave. But you've got this newfound equity, and I think we should use some of that equity to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But even better than that, we're routinely helping folks do this, and they wind up with a cheaper monthly payment. So if you got the dream house you always wanted, with no money out of pocket, and your payments went down, how easy is that? Find out how easy it is to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. We can't wait to hear about your projects. Tell us what your dream is. We're going to help you make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! Words are about to be spoken here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, presented to you by the ad-free shows and podcast Heat Networks. I'm John Alba. That is the broken one, woken one, spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy, coming to us from the Hardy compound this week. Not from AW Dynamite or Rampage. Instead, we are seeing you with that lovely pink and Pokemon backdrop. And who knows what chaos will ensue following these words coming out of my mouth, Matt Hardy. <laughs> you never know here. You never know. I, I heard uh, Queen Rebecca back there. She sounded irate at someone, which is not a shock. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I uh, actually was at the airport last night getting ready to board my plane. Got a call at the last second. It's just dynamite that they're doing tonight, which should be a great dynamite. Uh, Daniel Garcia versus MJF, which I'm really excited about. That's going to be super cool, right? Uh, I was told that we were able to stay home because uh, we didn't have a, a, a spot. We didn't have something to do on the Dynamite episode. So I'm okay with that. So to not have to fly to the West Coast and not have to take a red eye back home to the East Coast uh, to not do anything, I was very, very happy and, and very, very pleased that I was told I didn't have to go to Dynamite. We got some of our top guys and top gals watching live. Your boy, Josh Fields, very excited, Matt. He says, hello, John and Matt. It's another wonderful day here in Cincinnati. Matt, I cannot wait to finally meet you at GalaxyCon in Columbus in a few weeks. Yeah. All right, cool. Josh, I'm going to be there. I think Rebby is going to be there as well, and Jeff is going to be there on that Sunday. It might be uh, me on Friday, uh, myself and Rebby on Saturday, and myself, Jeff, and Rebby on Sunday. So all kinds of House Hardy members popping up at Columbus at the Galaxy Cons. Yes, those Galaxy Cons do real well too. You guys clean up there. Yeah, they're they're really good shows. Uh, there, there's a big one that's in Raleigh that I've done the last three years, I want to say. And then Jeff and I did it when we were with WWE uh, via WWE, and it was uh, a huge success then too. So yeah, those are those are great shows. Got Adam O'Neill joining us from overseas in the UK. Says good evening, John and Matt. It's evening by him. Though I'll tell you, Matt, with this daylight savings time BS, it really feels like evening here all the time, doesn't it? 
It does. And good evening to you, Adam. And I was just going to say, John, it's so funny you said that. Like back in the day, I've just found I've I finally learned to accept it. I think I, I finally learned to accept this winter daylight savings time. It is something I despise so much. And I know in the past you could probably look through my history of tweets or zeets or whatever you call it or comments I would make. I, it was always so depressing <laughs> when it gets dark at 525 or 530, especially the older Matt Hardy, especially when the older Matt Hardy would always sleep in and he had that luxury, right? To sleep in. And then it was just like the day just flew through. And then at 525, boom, it's dark. Uh, now I'm up a little earlier. So maybe that, that's why I'm a little more accepting of that as well. We were talking just about GalaxyCon. We got to really, though, push this, Matt Hardy. We are bringing the extreme life of Matt Hardy to. WrestleCade. WrestleCade.com is the place for you to get your tickets. Three days of family-friendly fun at the Ben Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, November 24th through the 26th. This is one of the coolest conventions you're going to have all year in the wrestling realm. Uh, more than 130-plus wrestling legends and stars of tomorrow and periphery people and Real periphery people like me will be there in, in Winston-Salem, but we are bringing the extreme life of Matt Hardy live to the stage for a very special edition of Becoming Broken, where Matt Hardy and I will tell you all about the story of the broken Matt Hardy character live on stage for the first time ever. Matt Hardy, what can people look forward to with Becoming Broken? It's... It's going to be fun. It's going to be eye-opening, I think, to a lot of people that haven't heard the story. And I'm sure because there's going to be a live audience involved, I'm even going to go into more detail. And we're going to have some special guests and people that were actually involved in this whole process of the Becoming Broken saga. Uh, EC3 is one of the guys. He was a huge factor. He is the guy that I end up turning hill on and winning the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. And then eventually I lost it to Drew McIntyre. And, and that was because of him and Jeff. Uh, because I had uh, several rivalries going on with him at that time. But then even as Broken Matt Hardy started, EC3 played a pretty pivotal point in the formation of Broken Matt Hardy. Even after we did the first contract signing, which was a very extremely polarizing segment, EC3 did a spoof that he released whenever he was out with some people too, which got a lot of buzz. But I, I, I knew it was... I knew we tapped into something because just so many people cared, whether they thought it was the worst thing they've ever seen or they thought it was the most amazing thing they've ever seen. People gave a shit, which I knew was very important. It's going to be an awesome time. EC3 is going to be there. Queen Rebecca is going to be there and maybe some other people as well. This is coming to you 8.30 p.m., 9 p.m., right in that window. It's going to follow up the GCW show going on at WrestleCade. It's going to be a blast. Friday, November 24th. Get your tickets right now at WrestleCade.com for the extreme life of Matt Hardy Live. And check out all of the awesome WrestleCade festivities, which will also include you and a pretty damn big match, Matt Hardy. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, pretty damn big. It's a first-time-ever match. It is the first-ever SmackDown WWE SmackDown World Tag Team Champions, Heath and Rhino, taking on uh, another former SmackDown World Tag Team Champions, in myself and my brother, Jeff Hardy. And this is the only independent wrestling event Jeff Hardy is doing in all of 2023. So that's a pretty big deal. If you want to see Jeff on the independent scene where he really gets to like 
play his own music and craft his own magic, uh, this is your only opportunity. It's going to go down at WrestleCade on Saturday night, November the 25th. Jeff Hardy, one night only, wrestles at an indie show, an indie event in North Carolina. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. So Matt and Jeff versus Heath and Rhino. We've never had this match before. Uh, both of us have held the SmackDown Tag Team titles. We both held the Impact World Tag Team titles. So yeah, we're we're very excited about this. They stepped up and opened the. Uh, they stepped up and answered the open challenge, and they are two guys Jeff and I like uh, very very much. But that does not uh, allow them to not face deletion. So my apologies in advance, Heath and Rhino. We are going to send it to you to deletion. Then you're going to get a Jeff Hardy concert right after that as well. Get your tickets, WrestleCade.com for the entire convention, but especially for the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy Live. Last year, our Omega panel was one of the hits of the convention. I have a feeling that this live event is going to be one of the true highlights as well. Make sure you join us. It is going to be a blasty blast, and we would love to see you there. <sighs> as you said too, John, I am really excited. Like Jeff has had this fantasy for as long as I can remember of having a professional wrestling match, it ending him being exhausted physically, uh, but being hyped mentally and having his adrenaline flowing, having his paint rubbed off his face because he's been in hand to hand battle for 15 or 20 minutes. And then him going straight to the stage and getting behind the mic and doing a full concert. And he is getting the opportunity to make that dream a reality. And he's very excited about it. And he wants each and every one of you to be there to join him. Going to be super cool. WrestleCade.com, we'd love to see you there. Cannot wait for that. Just a couple weeks away at this juncture right after Thanksgiving. And I'm sure we'll get a good Thanksgiving. Matt, fact, as the weeks go on here on the Extreme you know Life of Matt Hardy. And I will probably have something to say about it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, last week we did an episode on Fear Factor. This was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, Matt Hardy. Very out of left field and different. What was the feedback you got on it and why should people check it out? Same. Uh, I am. It was one of my favorite episodes as well. It was it was very fun to break from the norm and I've gotten great feedback from it. There are a lot of people that remember that Fear Factor episode that featured all the WWE superstars just because uh, Fear Factor was it was a big deal in pop culture. And uh, we were very honored and flattered that they gave WWE the entire platform to do Fear Factor. And the fact that we were chosen for it, especially Team Extreme, right? It was like a hand fitting in a glove perfectly. So it was a lot of fun and I, I really enjoyed it. And at the end of the day, it ended up, ended up uh, being for a very good cause because I was able to win $50,000 and donate it to the American Cancer Society. It was a great time and I really enjoyed that podcast last week, John. And if you didn't enjoy it, you know what that makes you in the words of Andrew Barr and Matt Hardy? Jobber. <laughs> Get over it, jobber. You don't want to be a jobber at all here on the Extreme Life. Make sure you're not, by the way. Scan that QR code right down there on the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Get that Extreme Life of Matt Hardy swag over at boxagimmicks.com. Find the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Big piece of news this week I want to hit on before we get into our main topic this mm -hmm. week. Uh, man, kind of out of left field, but NXT headed to the CW. And that's particularly interesting, Matt, because the CW has minority ownership by Warner Brothers Discovery, which, of course, owns the Turner Networks that AEW airs on. Now, it is yeah. minority ownership. Nexstar owns the majority of the CW. But a massive rights increase for NXT 
more than double, apparently, its current contract. And this seems like it's going to lay the groundwork for what is to come, not just for WWE with Monday Night Raw, which currently does not have a home as of October 2024, but also, Matt, maybe the landscape for AEW and other promotions along the way. What was your reaction to the CW landing this, especially since you were one of the big stars on SmackDown when it was on CW? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, the CW thing was extremely interesting because I, I want to discuss this with you as well, John. I know it had been floated out there that that was a possible landing point for the NWA. Am I not, am, I'm not mistaken, yes, correct? Correct. Uh, because I know that rumor had been out there, and there had been several people that had told me the last two or three weeks who were in the wrestling business, oh, yeah, well, NWA, they have some sort of deal worked out, and they're going to end up doing CW. They didn't know when. They don't know what kind of time slot, whatever. But just for NXT to kind of swoop in, and have a CW deal is very, very interesting. And as you said, too, it, it's really going to be uh, an intriguing time just to see how the landscape changes from a television perspective, because those television rights are the biggest monies that any company make. You know, and I know WWE, they're going to go all out to make all they can make. And I know AEW is looking to uh, get a raise whenever they renew their television rights, wherever they end up at. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects the entire professional wrestling television landscape do you remember when smackdown went to the cw and what internally it kind of felt like at that time because the cw is more or less the spiritual successor to upn yes i i do remember that and i feel like what what did we come off of before we went to cw do do you remember i'm not sure so it was I, upn and my nine at the time yes it, that's where we were and then it i'm pretty i'm pretty CW. sure i'm pretty sure that's where you guys were before it became cw just because i i feel like i remember when it was going to the cw people were unsure like oh my is this a step back for us that are that are heavily featured on smackdown being on cw but i to the best of my memory i feel like we ended up doing pretty good on it though yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna confirm this as yeah it was upn you went from upn to the cw and mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this. I think it was the CW red carpet premiere for SmackDown. They did like an event. And I think Booker and Batista got in a fist fight at it. Do you have any recollection of that? It's a pretty famous uh, wrestling story. I'm pretty sure I'm going to look it up. But I, I, I was there at the SummerSlam commercial where they got into a fist fight. Oh, okay. So that might've been where it was then. Yeah. That that, and I was there and I broke that up. Oh, you <laughs> broke that up. Of, really? I was part of the people, part of the people that kind of broke it up. Yeah. I mean, it was a very small crew that were doing this SummerSlam commercial. We were doing like, we were playing volleyball and doing all these summer activities and whatnot. And I remember me and Ray were two of the guys that fit Finley yelled for and we ran and we were like grabbing guys trying to separate them and whatnot. Hmm. It was an interesting scene for sure. Uh, Booker T, he is one of those guys that you can tell is extremely street smart. And I know when he started throwing down with Dave, he was talking trash and throwing hands. And, you know, it is what it is, man. Booker T is one of those guys you can tell he's very legit when it comes to being street smart and also street tough. Interesting, because Dave Batista is not a guy I'd want to throw hands with. Yeah. <laughs> that's a legit badass action star right there in big dave so. he is i mean he dave, dave is killing it and i'm so happy and proud for him too i'm so glad he has achieved so much success outside of wrestling and it's so cool that whenever he had that it did that last deal he said no this is my last match and it's gonna be my last match and he said he was gonna stick to that correct give me what i want give me what i yeah. want it's the big meme. what a great meme that is
<laughs> Give me what I want. Yeah, uh, he hasn't wrestled since, so I guess he's gonna stand pat on that. Let's let's hope he does. So he's he, I mean, he's a great actor in general. Forget even action star. He's yeah. a great actor. Has a lot of depth. I'd argue he might actually be talent-wise the best wrestler turned actor that has come out of it. Like obviously John and Rock have had colossal success blockbuster-wise, but I think Dave's depth and range as an actor is even more than those two, which is quite a testament to his skill set. So uh, big, big ups to Big Dave there. Maybe we'll get an episode in on him at some point. Yes. But on today's episode, Matt, we are talking about one of your close friends in wrestling, someone who is on many fans, Mount Rushmore's Chris Jericho, who is celebrating a birthday this week. He will turn 53 on Friday as this drops. So we're going to be discussing the Ayatollah of rock and roller, Mr. Jericho. But before we do, I got to ask you, please hit us with that Matt fact. Matt fact, Matt despises having to wake up before 6 a.m. Is that due to being on the road or is that an ever more hearty <laughs> story there? Yeah, that, that's an, that's, I think that's an evergreen comment now. Um okay. The, the reason I was saying this is because I got nailed with with three of them back to back last week. So last Wednesday, we were in Louisville and we flew out the morning of. I had to set my alarm for 5.30 a.m. And just sometimes with these kids, it can be really tricky as far as getting in bed, you know, especially if something is going on with one of the kids, there's an issue, whatever. So I, I slept decent on this night, though. I ended up getting in bed about 11.30 midnight. I was up at 5.30, traveled, uh, put in a 20-hour day, right? But following that 20-hour day, my flight home was at 6 a.m. I had to set my alarm for 3.45 a.m. to travel back home to North Carolina. Uh, I make a connection. I get home. I'm up all day again. Once again, another 20-hour day of being up. And then I was going to the Providence, Rhode Island, Rhode Island Comic Con to do that appearance on Friday. And that morning, I had to set my alarm at 5 a.m. as I had a 7.25 flight. Uh, so I had three days back to back where I probably slept, you know, overall five, three and a half, eight and a half. Uh, I slept about 12 and a half hours, you know, <laughs> over the course of those nights, which is 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 not enough for me now. <laughs> I can't do that. I'll be honest. If I'm able to sleep seven hours, I am good the next day. I'm ready to rock and roll and I'm up all day, super productive and whatnot. But if I only sleep like three or four hours, my body feels bad just because it's beat up. And, you know, I'm constantly trying to heal from whatever it is that I've been, you know, doing bump wise. And uh, th those days are hard on me. So I know if I have to get up before 6 a.m., it's going to be a night where I don't sleep enough. And that that does not make Matt very happy. I feel that, brother. I feel that these SNY nights where I'm not getting home till like two in the morning, oh, yeah. and then I've had some life circumstances changing lately, where now I'm getting up a lot earlier. So right. it's been uh, it's been tough. I feel that, man. I feel that intimately. But you just keep trudging on, and at the end of the Why day, when 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 your little girl wakes you up because she's excited to see you, I think that probably puts all that distress off to the side because you're seeing that face i'd imagine oh yeah yeah that i mean that's the best uh at 7 a.m she's up and ready to rock and roll and pounce and i'll try and get her to cuddle with me for just a few moments but she doesn't she's ready to go she is ready to go and play and hang out and have a good time uh but yeah it it is the best and it gets you through it and that, that's also my motto especially in 
very tough times. And I'll say this a lot. If I'm like tired, I'm trying to do cardio cardio for a day in my mind, I just go, just get through it. And I'll think about that, especially on those days where I fly home from TV early and I don't sleep a lot and I'm like with the kids and I'm exhausted and just like internally, I'm just wanting to like take a nap. I'm wanting to lay down. I'm wanting to recharge my batteries in my mind. I go, you're not going to do that until tonight. Just get through it. Just get through it. And that's something I play over and over in my head. Just get through it. That's just, that's kind of my motto. And that's the, that's the mentality that keeps me getting through those days. So Gothic baby became Christmas baby recently. Yeah, she, she did. Yeah. That, now I, I don't know if she's going to follow in the footsteps of her mother. Now her mother is a huge uh, Halloween fanatic, as you know, but as soon as Halloween ends the very next day, once the Halloween ends, the clock strikes midnight and it turns to the next day, it is Christmas season. And, they, and, and they go nuts. They go nuts about it. I took a picture in, which I put in my thread of, from my perspective last night on my Twitter, like the house was already done two days later fully fully done it's uh red and green uh down the driveway there's lights there's all kinds of shit out in the yard i mean it, it's a christmas fight it, it's it's christmas fight christmas fight already you know uh two days after halloween so she is all about christmas and she jumped on that as quick as possible and i guess in some ways i it was to my advantage that i was away at the Rhode Island Comic Con because I didn't have, didn't get stuck with helping her, so I kind of got off the hook. <laughs> well, as you said, Matt Hardy, it is sometimes just a matter of just get through it, right? Yeah. And you're going to find yourself in that position every day when you wake up, when you're traveling a lot, or even if you're just living a daily life, and we want to help you just get through it over with our pals oh boy, at yes. AG1. Of course, you know that AG1 is going to help you just get through it every single day that you drink AG1. I know I drink AG1 literally every day because it provides me with all the nutritional needs that I have just to get through it. Why are you drinking AG1 every morning? Because much like you said, it, it definitely supplements your ability to just get through it. I don't go a single day without kicking in right from the jump, my AG1s. Uh, they're delectable, they taste good, and they really do. They give you this feeling of energy and they give you this feeling of, of, uh, of, of just happiness and of healthiness that really drives you through the day and just makes you better. I, I'm telling you, it is just the way to kick off every single day. Well, what I love about the energy is it's not just an energy burst because you can drink an energy drink, you can drink coffee, and you'll get that initial adrenaline rush from the energy. But this is sustained energy. Correct. And I think there's a pretty big difference between those things, isn't there? Yes, because uh, a lot of times if you do that energy drink or if you do that pre-workout or whatever it is, uh, you crash hard when that wears off. With AG1, you do not. If you drink AGs, uh, it makes you all throughout the day a steady line of energy and of enthusiasm and of just get through it. And it helps you do it every single day. AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients for whole body health. And it replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in a one simple drinkable 
habit. It's also going to save you time. It's going to make your life so much easier with just one scoop in the morning. 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. I can't think of another daily routine that's going to pay off for you as well as AG1 is, and that is why we trust AG1 so much here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and get how many free AG1 travel packs, Matt Hardy? Five, cinco, five, cinco, five free travel packs. And as you said, AG1 and done. You have one and you're done for the day. No more supplements. No more keeping up with all these pills. No more having to take a whole bunch of supplements. You do it all in one shot with AG1. You're going to free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase as well. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash hardy. That's drinkag1.com forward slash hardy. Make sure you check out AG1. Oh, we disappeared there for a second. We're back. Anyway. We're back. We're they back. teleported. They teleported. Yeah. Throw it out the window. It's done. <laughs> oh, boy. Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. You know, the comments about me are much nicer on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy page than they are on the Strictly Business page. They're oh, a yeah. little they're a little uh, FI-ish over there. So I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that the FIs stay off the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy feed. Very oh, yeah, much so. oh, Okay. All right. We have smart fans here. We have smart fans. We appreciate our fans. I love when the fans come up to you at the conventions and the comic yeah, cons and all that stuff. That's, that's we have, the best we have a bunch of good peeps. Yeah, we do. We have good peeps, not like the peep, but yeah. you know the good peeps. We the don't want peeps. that. Peep. Not the creepy little pee peeps. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Let's talk Chris Jericho. We've BS'd enough here uh, so far. Chris Jericho turning fifty-three years old. This week and Matt Hardy, this guy is as good as ever. He is a true lifer. His father, of course, Ted Irvine, played for the New York Rangers, uh, had a really nice career in the NHL. And Chris Jericho's interest in pro wrestling really started to develop watching the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, that uh, they would run shows at the Winnipeg Arena. And he saw footage of Owen Hart when he was young with Stampede Wrestling, doing all the high-flying, innovative stuff that Owen was doing at the time. And as a result, Chris decided, I want to get into this and start professional wrestling. I'd love to pick your brain on Owen there for a second. We did an episode on Owen in our archives, ExtremeHardy.com. Mm -hmm. But for wrestlers of your generation... Is he really up there among one of the more influential types? Yes, I, I think Owen influenced uh, a ton of people. And, and that, especially if you go back a few years before me, I, I think he was even more influential at that time. Uh, one guy that I can say was hugely influential, also came up around this era, was Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels was hugely influential on myself and Jeff. I can't say that. Uh, Owen was as well, especially because... After we learned about Owen and we actually got into the business and we started doing things at WWE as extras and enhancement talent, then we started discovering some of his work from Japan and places he did internationally. And then you really learn that he wasn't just like a WWE style competitor. He was very special. He was very gifted. And I think that's what makes his legacy so great is his body of international work. I think the influence is pretty apparent in Chris Jericho. Shawn Michaels, too, for the record. Yes, uh, he starts his first gig in wrestling as part of the ring crew 
for Keystone Wrestling Alliance. And eventually, at age 19, he goes to the Hart Brothers School of Wrestling where he meets a guy who you know very well, Lance Storm. Yeah. And after just two months of training, he's ready to have his first match, and his first match is, in fact, against Lance Storm. And those two guys would travel together throughout all the early goings of their careers. They formed a tag team called Sudden Impact. And they start to run the territories there, Matt. I don't know how extensively you've had conversationally with Lance or Chris about their pairing in particular, but uh, do you remember any notes about their particular friendship? I they, they, they got on my radar whenever they were in Smoky Mountain as the Thrill Seekers. That was my first... Uh, that was my first glance. That was the first time I ever laid eyes on the tag team of Chris Jericho and Lance Storm. And, and I thought they were incredible. They were somebody that I said to Jeff, I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to wrestle these guys because they're, like, amazing. And they wrestle a style very similar to us. And also, I just saw something where Chris had posted something yesterday, I want to say, on one of his first promos ever, which was in Mexico, which was so wild. And he said he was 21 years old whenever he did this promo in Mexico. And that's that's pretty amazing itself. Uh my, after getting to know these guys through and through, it's so funny because they're very similar in the way they think and probably put matches together and probably the way they process storytelling and whatnot. But just as human beings, they are both very different. But they, they shared a very strong bond, strong friendship. But they were very, very different when it comes to just the way they look at things in life as human beings when you talk about Lance Storm and Chris Jericho. I'm glad you brought up the Mexico piece there because i was going to talk about that just now mm -hmm. before he even gets to smoky mountain in 1994 which is right when you and jeff are really starting to break into the business here right especially with the omega stuff before he even gets to 1994 he's worked in japan he's worked in mexico and that's before even breaking through to a i don't want to call smoky tier a, a high smoky wrestling a high tier wrestling federation at the time but it, mm -hmm. it had presence and it had eyes on it to a degree. How valuable was that experience working in Japan, working in Mexico for a guy who is that young and impressionable at that point? Massive. It's massive. Uh, because like just to have that on your resume says so much and it goes so far to say you've been, say you're under 25 and you've been to Japan, you've been to Mexico. And also it gives you a, a good look and a good insight into the styles there and how they work differently. And then coming back to Smoky Mountain is almost where you learn to work the Memphis style as Memphis as it can possibly be in many ways, or like the, the classic traditional pro wrestling style, you know, which Jim Cornette uh, does through and through. So, yeah, I mean, he was very cultured. I, I feel like it's, it's just so great for you as a performer to be able to experience and see all these different people that do different styles, that do Japanese strong style, that do Lucha Libre style, that do like traditional American pro wrestling. And, and to be able to do all of those categories well is, uh, is something that is hugely beneficial for you as far as going forward and as far as being valuable. What was it about Chris that really caught your attention? Well, the first thing about Chris that caught my attention in the beginning when he was doing the Thrill Seekers with Lance was just their athleticism. You know, they were two young, good-looking guys. that they, they did these cool moves that a lot of people weren't doing at that time. Uh, they had a very uh, fast-paced style. 
which is something I could relate to with the, with what myself and Jeff, what we were trying to forge for ourselves. you know, the style we were trying to kind of create for ourselves as we were starting to do Indies more and more at that time. But what really stood out to me about Chris is whenever he got to go to WCW and once he got to show his personality, then I was like, hold up, this guy's really something special because he not only is a gifted athlete in the ring and not only is he a gifted pro wrestler, but he's also a very gifted entertainer. That's what really stood out about Chris to me at first notice. Well, we will certainly get to that in just a couple of minutes because that is an extremely influential moment for a lot of wrestlers when Chris starts heading into the WCW realm. But before he can get there, he ends up in ECW. Now, he made his alliances in Japan and Mexico with the likes of Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. And eventually in 1995, Paul Heyman is looking for new talent and it's Benoit Dave Meltzer and Perry Saturn. So that kind of gives you um, some of the influence that Paul Heyman was listening to at the time that recommend Chris Jericho and Mick Foley puts him over after he sees Jericho wrestle ultimate dragon for the uh, war international junior heavyweight championship. He gives a copy of the tape to Heyman and Heyman watches it. And all of a sudden Jericho is right there in the middle of ECW. Uh, it's not a long time that he spends there in ECW, but what do you think a run in ECW at that time did for performers like Chris? I, I mean, once again, uh, ECW was a very hot stopping spot. People could go in there, they could work for a few months and then get heated up. And you'd see several people end up leaving there and going to WWE or leaving there and going to WCW. And I, I did, we did get to see a lot of that because we read ECW very, very late. Uh, one in the morning, one thirty in the morning on the MSG network here in Cameron, North Carolina, here on the Hardy compound. Uh, so I did get to see a lot of his stuff there. And that, that is when I got to see more of his matches in depth because the Smoky Mountain stuff was a lot harder to see than the ECW stuff was at that time. So that was really my... That, that was my best introduction to the actual depth of his wrestling mm -hmm. style and wrestling ability. How beneficial would it be for a wrestler at that age in their life, you know, young 20s, mid 20s, to be working the variety of style that came with ECW? Because you could work yeah. three ECW shows and work three totally different matches in those shows. Yeah. I mean, e ECW was a huge, it was a hugely influential part of pro wrestling especially leading to the boom which people you know affectionately call the attitude era which pitted the nw nwo uh and the storylines in wcw also the cruiserweights i think they're uh you know don't get the credit they deserve i think the cruiserweight style being introduced to a national audience was a huge deal uh versus the you know stone cold versus vince mcmahon and also the dx era you know that era of the attitude era Without ECW, I don't know if you get all that as well. So ECW was hugely influential on the Attitude Era and the creation of it and, and being a little more edgy and a little more raw, I think. I loved what Paul Heyman did with that. I mean, and I was so happy I got to see it. That was one of the first places myself and Jeff thought we wanted to get to. You know, hey, if we can go to ECW, then we probably could go to WWF or WCW, whatever it may be. But for someone like Chris, who's young, and you go to ECW, it's a great opportunity. It's a great launching pad. And also, it's it's a, a place to really put all your talents 
you know, put them out there because everybody was watching that at that time. I mean, that's when like when tape trading was real hot and heavy. I mean, so many people laid eyes on ECW. And if you got on ECW, you were going to uh, you were going to get noticed by a lot of people. And Chris went there and he killed it. He, he did what he typically did. And it was a very short journey, as we know, as he ended up going down south following ECW. ECW at that time is the reason why you have a job today because without ECW at that time, Tony Khan doesn't fall in love with wrestling in the way that he does. And AW doesn't exist how we know it. So it is. You see, you you see Tony Khan in the crowd out there watching Chris Jericho matches, you know, I mean, it's well-documented that he was such a big fan of, you know, that style and ECW at that time period. And also, Tony was initially more of a WCW Nitro fan than a WCW Raw person at that time as well, too. Hypothetically speaking, what would 12-year-old Tony Khan have said in the crowd watching Chris Jericho? (laughs) He would have probably said, as soon as they get in the ring and the bell rings, he said, let's fucking go! That would be my guess. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's my favorite bit. Just imagining 12-year-old Tony Khan freaking out like that because I totally believe it. So, He does go to WCW in 1996. WCW launches that cruiserweight division with Nitro. And that's something that really starts to captivate a lot of wrestling fans. And I would imagine you're included in that. Yes. Jericho's inclusion in the cruiserweights. Before we get into his cruiserweight championship run, which kind of changed the game. Just his inclusion in that stacked division at the time. I know you were paying attention to it. Did he stand out to you at all? Was he just part of the mix? I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, he he stood out because he a lot of those guys were from Mexico. There were a ton of Mexican wrestlers in that cruiserweight division at that time, and they weren't really like personality people. They they were known for just their lucha libre, you know, their cool mask, and that was their whole mo. But when it came to Chris, he started demonstrating that there was much more to him than just being a extremely talented wrestler. See, that's interesting you say that because I feel like in that early run in WCW with the cruiserweights, Chris was very smiley, white meat, baby face, didn't really do a lot of personality stuff. You could tell he wanted to, and there was more there, but I don't feel like Eric really saw that in any of the cruiserweights. I feel like a lot of the cruiserweights, 1996, we're talking before, you know, he really goes on his run here, 1996, yeah. early 97. I don't feel like any of those cruiserweights were really allowed to show a ton of personality and didn't have a ton of story to bite into. It was more, here's an attraction match on our card here. Yeah, and, and you you may be very right, because I'm not, I'm not going to lie, John. I mean, my mind fast forwards to whenever mm-hmm. Chris does the heel bid and you know he's got Ralphus and the list and you know everything else that's that's kind of yeah that, that's that, that's romantically in my head what I think about when I think about Chris Jericho in WCW uh, and yeah in the beginning I can see that that you know he's like okay well your guys job isn't to be entertainers 
That's for the Halls and the Nashes and the Hogans and whoever. You know, your job is just to go out there and give me a kick-ass match. Go out there and give me give me a a banger. Go out there and give me a fiver. You know, that that's what mm-hmm. that's what Eric Bischoff wanted from those guys. Don't worry about the personality. We don't need you to get over there. I just need you to show me a give me a banger. Don't you dare say that Eric Bischoff cares about five star matches, or else I'm going to be talking about this on this week's Strictly Business. So just uh, <laughs> it's about the story. Even I though know, I, maybe, maybe we should ask him that. I, I just ask Eric, did he care about the story they were telling in the match whenever the cruiserweights first started having matches on Nitro, or was it all about just going out and having a kick ass five fiver? Well, I bring it up because I do feel like Jericho. There, there's three in particular that I look at as driving stories into the cruiserweight division. Jericho, Mm -hmm. Eddie Guerrero, and Rey Mysterio are the three, in my opinion, that started to incorporate stories much more. Like, for example, Halloween Havoc 1997, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio, generally considered to be one of the greatest wrestling matches of the 90s, period iconic match one of the best matches of eddie and ray's careers and it was a mask match with ray's mask on the line versus the title on the line that's where i feel like we start to get more story integrated into that cruiserweight division before chris is about to take the ball and run with it do you have any recollections of that match i know we talked a little bit about it in the eddie guerrero episode we did uh the the biggest thing i remember about that match and i'm sure everybody else does as well is when uh Ray did the backflip uh, into the DDT off the ropes, and like we lost our shit. We went nuts when he did that. We thought it was the coolest thing ever. We were first exposed to Ray and Psychosis also through ECW, and like we became big fans of those guys. And that was Ray was definitely a guy that was on the list that both Jeff and I wanted to wrestle after seeing him. So then things start to change for Chris. We're starting to see some personality out of him. January 15th, 1998 on Thunder. Chris defeats Eddie Guerrero to earn a title shot against Ray for the Cruiserweight Championship that sold out. And Jericho wins the Cruiserweight Championship. After the match, he turns heel by assaulting Ray's knee with a toolbox. And that leaves Ray out of the ring for six months. That starts Chris on this run where he beats Juventude for his mask. He then goes on this collecting gimmick before kicking off a memorable feud with Dean Malenko, mm-hmm. where Chris starts claiming that he is a better wrestler than Dean, even though Dean probably at the time was a top five professional wrestler in the world in terms of his actual abilities in the ring. Dean was known as the man of 1,000 holds. So Chris dubs himself the man of 1,004 holds. Yes. And actually, just a minute ago, when I said the list, that's what I was thinking of when he would have the rolling list, uh, the man of uh, 1,004 holds. So this happens on March 30th, 1998 on Nitro after Jericho defeats Marty Jannetty. Chris pulls out a long pile of fax machine paper that listed each of the 1,004 holds that he knew as he begins to read them off to the audience. Most of the holds are obviously fake, but every other hold was an arm bar. And he would say, they go into commercial and they come back and he is still reading this list here. WCW was a land of the heavyweights, Matt Hardy, but Chris Jericho is finding a way to stand out here with one of the most memorable pro wrestling segments of the 1990s. 
What was your reaction when you saw that segment? I, I loved it. I'm here for that. <laughs> uh, I mean, even back then, like I love the entertainment aspect of pro wrestling and I still do. Like, it's great if people, you know, have an issue and there's a, you know, a good guy and a bad guy that have been going through this, 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 this tough dilemma, this, this feud, this rivalry, and then they meet in this final match and it's like a great match when it's all said and done and the athleticism is good. It's a five or a banger, whatever the kids call it. Right. But, what I love more than anything else is that entertainment aspect in pro wrestling characters. And I love the fact that Chris was really being uh, let off the lease and he was being able to shine and do his own thing. I, I thought it was great and I was super happy for him. And I, I thought it was like the perfect fusion of pro wrestler and entertainer. As Chad Epic says, arm bar. Here. Arm bar. Yes, sir. Now I think this is great, Matt, because this is Chris Jericho in a nutshell. I think Chris Jericho is such a great heel for two reasons. Number one, he's extremely self-aware as a performer. He knows yes. he knows how to lean into the elements of his character that come off as annoying and obnoxious and ridiculous. He's not afraid to be ridiculous. And the second part of it that I think makes him a great heel is that he's never afraid to be served his comeuppance. He's always willing to put someone over in the end. That's how I perceive it as a consumer of the product. Would you agree or disagree with that assessment as far as why Chris was so successful as a heel? I totally agree with that. And once again, I'll go on the record. I think Chris uh, is a better heel than he was a babyface. And Chris is one of the guys who absolutely relinquishes his fear of being hated. You know, or he relinquishes his fear of being booed and he's okay with people thinking he's like a piece of shit or a bad person or just annoying shit. And, and that's really what you have to do to make a heel gig work, especially in this day and age. This eventually leads us and I'm going through this feud because I do believe this is the feud that truly put Chris Jericho on the map as yeah. a performer across the board uh, at Slambury. There's going to be a cruiserweight battle royal. The winner would immediately have a shot at the Cruiserweight Championship after. And Chris is cool with that because he feels whoever wins the Battle Royal is going to be too tired to face him. So he introduces all the competitors. And then as the match starts, he goes backstage for a coffee. And someone is dressed as Ciclope. And he's down there with Juventud Guerrero. Juventud shakes his hand and eliminates himself. And the person wearing the Ciclope outfit pulls off the mask. And it is Dean Malenko. It's one of the loudest reactions you're going to hear in WCW history. Malenko then goes on to beat Chris Jericho. And it's one of the most memorable segments of 1998 for WCW. Chris, again, has his come up and there and puts Dean Malenko over. You have any memories of that? Yeah, I, I do remember that moment. It, it was great. It was executed really well. People went nuts. And once again, you could see how much the crowd was invested in that title and in that championship and specifically in their, in their rivalry. Yeah. I remember that well. And I thought it was great, great business. In August of 98, Jericho would repeatedly call out Goldberg in an attempt to have a match with him, but that was not in the plans. He was not supposed to have a feud with Goldberg. They never saw Chris Jericho on the same page as Bill Goldberg and Jericho 
has said many times on the records that he would have happily jobbed out to Goldberg. He just wanted to poke the bear, poke the bear, get the spot and have that opportunity on a pay-per-view to have a match with Bill. But Eric Bischoff, Goldberg, Hogan, he claims just were not down for it. And that is one of the biggest catalysts for him ultimately jumping to the WWF. What does that say about him that he had the foresight to try and poke the bear in the way that he did and shoot his shot for a program like that? I mean, looking back in hindsight, uh, he made a pretty smart move, you know, because like either A, you get that deal with Goldberg, which hopefully you can elevate yourself while doing business with Goldberg and even, you know, eat a, eat a L and it's no big deal. It's like elevation because now you're on someone who's on the top, top tier. Uh, and then B, if that doesn't happen, it looks like you're not being used to your maximum potential. Uh, the, the, they're kind of like underappreciative of your value and underappreciative of your talent and skills. And then it uh, puts a little sympathy on him whenever he's going to leave. He does eventually leave for greener pastures to the World Wrestling Federation in the summer of 1999 in what would be one of the biggest debuts in wrestling history. For weeks, the WWF starts doing all of these Y2K vignettes with a countdown to the new millennium. I'm going to put that into perspective in just a minute here, but when did you hear that Chris was first coming into the WWF? Mm, I, I mean, not early on, but I feel like once I started doing those Y2K vignettes, I think we all kind of knew that was him uh, because I think, there was enough information circulating through dirt sheets and whatnot that he hadn't resigned with WCW, that there were, uh, there were problems between him and management disagreements, whatever. And he wasn't happy there. He was frustrated about things. Uh, so obviously if he wasn't there, that meant he was coming to us. So yeah, I think we, I think we all kind of knew it. I think we all kind of just like, uh, you know, deducted that the whole Y2K thing was going to be for Chris Jericho. You remember how crazy all that Y2K hysteria was? Oh my God. Yeah, I do. I do. It was so, so wild. So crazy. Do you remember that? Do you remember how people thought like everything was going to end? Yeah, absolutely. I do. For those who don't remember or weren't old enough, when the new millennium hit, people thought that all the computer systems around the world were going to simultaneously crash because the operating systems wouldn't be able to handle it. So they thought that everyone's work would be destroyed. They thought like the nuclear bombs that were tied to computers were all just going to launch at the same time it was a big big conspiracy theory and yeah. thankfully none of that came to fruition but kind of cool and forward thinking of wwf at the time to be on the pulse of that and using that as a vignette here right very much so yeah i, I love the fact that they did that. and i remember thinking like oh i mean i guess something could go bad but i can't imagine anything going too terribly bad i, I remember thinking that but yeah it was like a conspiracy theory, like it was, it, it it was out of control, man. It had built up so much momentum. I do remember that so well. So yeah, I, I do. I uh, I tip my hat to WWE for for playing into that and utilizing that to bring in Jericho. It was brilliant. So on August 9th, Raw is war is in Chicago. The Rock is in the ring cutting a promo in the Big Show, and all of a sudden the Millennium Countdown hits zero. Y2J is unveiled and Chris Jericho confronts The Rock in his debut segment. It's one of the most memorable moments in WWE history, Matt. What do you remember that night about Chris Jericho coming in and debuting against The Rock here? I feel like I 
I feel like I remember that being the first time that they really tried to like kayfabe and like quiet someone starting for a company on that day. I feel like that was the first time that I really remember that being them going out of their way to make sure people don't know that he's there and that it's it, definitively he is appearing and definitively he is debuting. That's, that's what I remember most about it. I remember whenever he debuted and the countdown came to zero, the crowd went nuts. It was a huge reaction back and forth with him and the rock was awesome. It was an awesome segment. I remember how excited we were uh, speaking about like myself, Jeff edge and Christian, because it was a guy that was very close to our age and also very close to our mindset when it came to the way we did business. So that's, that's what I remember about that, about his debut more than anything else. Is that night the first night you meet him officially? I think I may have met them. There was a, there was a time where there, I, I think I'm, I think I met him before um, when WCW and WWF were both in Toronto WCW had had some sort of pay-per-view and we had a house show there and that was probably earlier in that year. And uh, Edge and Christian were going to go over to say hello to a buddy that was over at the WCW hotel. We're only like a couple blocks from a hotel and we went over there and that's where we first met Chris Benoit. I'm pretty sure that Chris was there too. And we said hello to him at that, at that point. What was your first impression of Chris Jericho, the person? Uh, I mean, very similar to us, you know, it just felt like a guy that, you know, if we knew him and we ran with him for a long time, we'd be friends. You know, that that's kind of the, the, the first vibe I got from him. So he comes in, you would think he's being brought in as a top guy. He's sparring with the rock, but it really takes some time for him to find his own footing. And we'll get into that process, but you're in there with the rock your first night. It is a packed crowd. I mean, can you imagine Matt? what wrestling fans would do these days to be part of a crowd like that? Yeah. I mean, uh, Chicago, Chicago was just, they were off the grid. They were off the charts, especially in those days in the late nineties, dude, if you were going to be doing something special, you wanted to be doing it in Chicago because they were just, they were absolutely electric. And hypothetically speaking, if you wanted to be part of a wrestling crowd these days, where could you go to ensure that that's reality, Matt? Oh, game time. Hell yeah, you go to game time. Game time is your one-stop shop for getting rid of all your frustrating ticket-buying experiences. You don't need to sit through all the hassle anymore when you're trying to go to the events that you want to go to. Game time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork away out of buying tickets. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. I don't know about you, dude. The biggest worry that I always have when buying tickets to events is worrying if I'm going to have an obstructed view. Because so many times you'll spend a ton of money on an event, and you get there, and there's a big piece of staging in your way. With That's game the time... With game time, you know exactly what view you're going to be having from your seat, and you know exactly how much you're going to be paying. How important is it to you, big money, Matt, to know exactly how much you're going to pay for your tickets? Oh, yes. When you are, are worried about your budget and you're making sure to take care of a gaggle, you definitely want to know what each and every one of those tickets are going to cost, especially if you're buying one for the gaggle. And it is a big deal, man. It makes it very convenient because they let you know where you're sitting. Uh, there's no hidden charges. There's no hidden fees. With game time, it is very much cut to the chase. 
get it done, know where you're sitting, buy the ticket, get the best price possible, and boom, you're in. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. That's right, an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. You find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, wrestling, comedy, theater, and a whole lot more. And with zone deals, you pick the section and game time picks the seats for big time savings with the game time guarantee that means you're always going to get the best price if you find tickets in the same section row for less game time is going to credit you 110 percent of the difference some people i know say a thousand percent matt hardy it's kind of hard to get to a thousand percent but 110 percent isn't too shabby download the game time app create an account and use code hardy for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem code h-a-r D-Y for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Now, Jericho has a hard time breaking into the main event. I think he probably expected he was going to. Instead, he has to go through the ringer a little bit. It takes him about two years or so to get to that point. During those two years, Matt, how did you see Chris embrace his role in the World Wrestling Federation? And how did you get to know him over that period of time? Uh, we, we, we get to work occasionally. Uh, sometimes we travel occasionally. We would hang out occasionally as well. Uh, you know, once again, we we're all around the same age and we were all very like-minded. And I think it was just one of those scenarios where Chris kind of came in, I think in his mind, he probably had it laid out how he wanted to see his career go, the trajectory and everything. And then there was something that differed between him and like uh, triple H you know, especially when he was starting to come into power at that time. And, and I, I think they kind of like backed off on Chris a little bit. They slowed down a little bit before they really excelled him into this main event. And he always got along good with Vince from the jump. He got along really, really good with Vince. He knew Vince would do things that would, you know, push you out of your comfort zone. Or sometimes Vince would try and test you. Vince would really see, you know, how far you're willing to go for him and whatnot. But they always had a good relationship. I know him and him and Hunter, they had a they had a, a little bit of differences, uh, difference of opinion right from the jump, and I think that's kind of what slowed down his ascent to uh, the main event. Did that have anything to do with Chris being viewed through the prism of being a smaller guy, a more flippy guy, or anything of that nature? It, it probably could. Yes, I, I could. I could see that being a factor. Isn't it ironic of the type of wrestler that Paul Levesque, Triple H loves now? Oh yeah, versus right. then, like. Chris Jericho comes in in 2023 and he's Triple H's ideal professional wrestler, right? Oh yeah, yeah, no, he's he's his, he's his wet dream, you know, as I've said that before <laughs> with uh, with Vince, you know, that he's everything he's looking for, perfect. It's amazing how time changes things. Uh, do you have any good road stories with Chris Jericho from that time? Uh, we just, I remember we just had lots, lots and lots of fun together, especially during that time. You know, we would travel, you know, we would catch, we would catch, uh, steaks at Outback. That was a big thing for myself, Jeff, Edge Christian and, and Chris, he would join us sometimes, you know, Cracker Barrel. That was always a big wrestler spot. Uh, just traveled a lot, man. And like when you travel so many days and you're on the road as much as we were back then, I mean, you become close with those people because a lot of times you see them more than you see your actual family. There's an interesting point that Chad brings up here. And he says, might it have been that Chris was a WCW guy that he had a harder time breaking through? What do you think about that? 
Yes, that could be a possibility. But also, I, I think Chris probably had some of the mentality like he did with WCW, right? When he was calling out Goldberg, like, no, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to like force it into existence or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit back and just wait for someone to give me something. I'm going to take it. I feel like he was trying to take those opportunities and it just kind of led to him clashing heads a little bit with, uh, with triple H. And, and I think that was, that was probably more of the issue. It took a while than him being a WCW guy. And, and they probably wanted him to work a more WWF, at that time, WWE style than he typically did because he was probably still uh, exhibiting much more of like a WCW cruiserweight style whenever he was wrestling. Mm. Chris really stands out during the Alliance storyline, the WWE versus WCW, ECW, the invasion angle. Triple H is on the back burner. He's hurt. Chris Benoit's hurt. Chris Jericho kind of steps to the plate, and as a result, he's rewarded, Matt, when he wins the first ever undisputed championship at vengeance 2001 mm-hmm. he beats the rock and stone cold steve austin in the same night and it was a four-man tournament the rock austin angle and jericho i don't think anyone really expected jericho to be walking no. out of there as champion that night do you remember how all that came to be backstage what that felt like when chris was being anointed as the guy in that moment and how do you think it all came off I, I know we were all personally excited uh, about it, you know, our circle of friends and, you know, our, our running buddies and whatnot. But I, I thought it was done really well. Chris was a guy who was getting great reactions. Uh, he, he could wrestle. He could talk. He was an amazing character and personality. And it was unpredictable more than anything else. Like predictability in wrestling sucks. If you like look at a tournament and you like pick automatically who's going to win and there's like no problem in doing so, I think that's problematic. I think the fact that he won and people weren't expecting him to win, I I think that was the perfect call. And I was a big, big fan of that. Unfortunately, his run there is kind of overshadowed by Triple H. I mean, Triple H beats him in the main event of WrestleMania, but nobody looks back at WrestleMania 18 as... Except for Rock and Hogan. (laughs) Right. They look at it for that. And that kind of becomes the motif with Chris where he becomes this super dependable guy to go out there and do exactly what's needed. But in that first run, he never truly becomes the guy, despite having a great WrestleMania match with Shawn Michaels the next year and constantly being put in positions where he is in a good spot to elevate others. He's going back and forth between babyface and heel what kind of message was he sending to the rest of the locker room with his versatility and understanding of his role at the time i mean once again i i think he was a a living breathing demonstration of like make the most out of whatever you have to work with and going back to wrestlemania 18 i can say that jericho like spoke up and he really he did not want to go last with hunter he he wanted Rock and, and uh, Hogan to go last. I know he was very adamant about that, although he didn't get his way. And I think, you know, they said, no, we definitely want Triple H. He's re- returning. He's doing this deal. We want him to be last. Um, so he, he knew they had an uphill battle trying to follow the Rock and Hogan deal. And he was right. He was right when he was thinking that. But I, I just think he, that he just very much demonstrated that, like, whatever you are given to work with, make the most out of it. And like, uh, you know, do your magic. And, and if you if you go out, if you're good, even in winning or losing, you will still get over. Talk about self-awareness right there. 
he recognized that his own main event, that is the dream of every wrestler, right? Main event oh, yeah. WrestleMania. Yeah. He recognized that the circumstances of Rock Hogan were just bigger and he was willing to give up his main event spot because he did not want it to affect the type of match that him and Paul were going to have. Right. He knew. That's amazing. And, and do you feel in hindsight that he was right? Of course he was right. Yeah. Of course he was right. Nothing, nothing was going to follow Rock and Hogan that night. I mean, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be as, you know, as insane as it was, especially with the way the crowd reacted and just how uh, involved and how connected the crowd was to those guys, especially, you know, to both of them, but especially to Hulk. Uh, we knew it was going to be powerful, though, at the end of the day. I think everybody did. And I think Chris saw that. And it was just, you know, there was no following those guys. And then Chris was very adamant about it, but he was shut down. You actually have a pretty storied history with Chris in the ring. You have 35 matches, according to your cage match, that you've had with him, so pretty substantial. Uh, what is one thing from being in the ring with him, especially around this era? Because I feel like this is kind of his prime in-ring time. Uh, what did you experience with him between the ropes? I, I mean, I, I loved working with him. He was a guy that... You know, uh, it was going to be easy because if you had things you would like to do in it, he was going to try and incorporate those. Uh, it was just really easy to get along with. He was a, a consummate professional. And, you know, if you're wrestling him, it was going to be a good quality match. And it was somebody that the, the people gave a shit about. So especially if you're wrestling in a singles match and you're kind of primarily one half of a tag team, he was a guy that you wanted to be in the ring with. Why do you think Chris left in 2005? Looking back in hindsight, uh, it was probably probably pretty smart, I think. You know, he, he did that later on in his career where he would, like, leave and go away to kind of make people wish for his return. And I, I, I think that's a good move on his behalf. Sometimes, you know, if you're just constantly in people's face, they kind of take you for granted. Or, you know, they, 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 they just go, oh, okay, well, there's Chris Jericho again. But if you let them go away for a while, as if Chris would go away for, for a while, then people would, would, like, yearn to see you again, and they would miss you. And it's important that people miss you, and it makes them care about you a little more whenever you come back. And especially, he was very good at coming back and doing, changing up his act, doing something different. It was the genesis of what made him so good at what he did. He was and I've used this to describe you too, but he really was one of the first to just blaze their trail as a serial reinventor mm -hmm. and come back with a fresh coat of paint. How much of it do you think had to do with him wanting to pursue his other life as a rock star? Because Chris has done something that nobody in the history of wrestling has been able to do. And that is live his two dreams as a rock star and a pro wrestler. And with a great degree of success with Fozzie. I, I mean, I think that probably played a, a small role in it, but I, I think more important than anything, I think even if he wasn't doing Fozzie, if he wasn't living his dream of being a rock star, I would I would say he would still take that time away just to make the crowd miss him, you know, just so they would they would yearn, they would, you know, they would covet his return. They would like we want to see Chris Jericho again. Come on, man, come back. He was really smart and he was really disciplined when it came to that area. So he does go away for two years. He returns in 2007. He's got a haircut, comes in as a baby face going after Randy. Do you remember anything changing about Chris upon him returning to the company? I mean, when you talk about the haircut, the, 
the, the biggest thing that I can remember changing is when he did that angle with Shawn Michaels, which I'm sure we'll talk about in here in a second. Uh, I was a big fan of that and really enjoyed that. And once again, I thought that was amazing that Chris Jericho, who was also highly influenced by Shawn Michaels, got to do this top-level program with him. And it was very, very much a program that had a lot of beats that people really cared about. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about his work with Shawn Michaels and the Jeratron and everything of that nature that we see right. him work where he really starts to change into this top tier heel character. What do you think that that feud did for him and his progression? I mean, I think that definitely elevated his, his, his worth and his value. Um, and, and it also allowed you to kind of see a different twist on him because he was much more of a, a serious heel during that time. So I thought that was great that it was, a, it was like a, a recreation uh, of himself where once again he like said let's go back to the drawing board and let's do something different and it was a reinvention that was that was beautifully done and the moment where they did the deal with the punch and sean's wife was hit and stuff i mean it added like such such great emotion and drama to their battle and to their rivalry and yeah i, I loved every bit of that and it was so cool because you know chris was out there like living his dream because he was someone heavily influenced by sean michaels growing up well and Chris then, in the process, adapts this new, much more serious, conniving, brooding character that he has said was based off Javier Bardem's character in No Country for Old Men. You ever seen No yeah. Country for Old Men? That seems like a yes. Matt Hardy movie through and through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I've seen. And and he starts to be much more brooding and intimidating. He's wearing a suit. He doesn't have a ton of personality. It kind of goes against everything that we've right. known about Chris Jericho. How does that speak to his intelligence for character creation and understanding that element of everything? Because it truly is, Matt, the polar opposite of everything we've known about Chris to that point. I mean, it, once again, it shows how truly talented and aware he is when it comes to reinvention. And it just shows how he's committed. I mean, what whatever it is, like whatever you're doing, you have to commit. And if part of this new character and this new persona is that he is not the goofy uh, joking guy that he was in the past. And that that's, that's like some guidelines you need to stick to. And he stuck to them through and through. But how much of a risk is it as a performer when you take away everything that fans love about you just to hope that you can get this other character over? How big of a risk is that? Of course, yes. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a pretty big risk, especially changing everything. But, but John, isn't that what life is? A risk. You know, you have to, uh, you have to take those, those chances. You have to roll the dice, especially in the world of pro wrestling, especially when you have to reinvent. And Chris is, without a doubt, one of the greatest serial reinventors of all time. He did that, and he would go on to win the world championship. Uh, you actually, around this time in 2009... Yeah, I know I'm jumping ahead, or 2008 rather, end of 2008. You have, we talked about this previously in your ECW episode, but you have a triple threat match as ECW champion with Chris, who's world heavyweight champion, and Triple H, who's the WWE champion. That is, on paper, that's one of the biggest matches of your career. What yeah. was it like to be in that match? I mean, it was cool. It was very exciting. It was, it was cool to get that opportunity to kind of be uh, put in, 
the same match in the same scenario with these two other guys that are really big stars. One of them that I'm really close friends with. And I just remember even talking about Chris that I guarantee the finish of this is Hunter beating me. He said, what you want to bet, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, lo and behold, that ended up being the finish, but I would imagine that it's also the expected finish for most people too. Had, and had I was cool with that. Had triple. I was, H very I was very happy to be in that match and, and, and be looked in the same light as those guys. Had triple H changed his perception of Chris at that point? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I think they they were they were good at this at this juncture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in two thousand nine, WrestleMania twenty five. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because Chris, to his credit, has done a really good job crossing over into the mainstream, and he picks a feud with Mickey Rourke where they were supposed to have a match at WrestleMania, but Rourke ends up pulling out. Instead, Chris ends up in a match with Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, and Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania, which is crazy. And he goes over the three of them. I'd have to imagine there are some memories from that period of time. That's a very memorable WrestleMania for you wrestling Jeff, but a pretty huge spot for him to be in between Mickey Rourke and those three legends, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that was, I thought it was great. Uh, I, I enjoyed that deal. And that's right around the time. That's when the wrestler was out and it was hot, right? Obviously we were doing a promotion of that. Um, and the very next night on raw, uh, myself and Jeff, uh, we were on opposite teams. We did a 10 mag and, I remember we talked about this briefly for a second. Like all of us wanted to go in there and like take bumps for Ricky, the dragon steamboat. We were so excited about that. Everybody was like so hyped for that match. And I remember that being a very, a very fun night where I teamed with Chris and we had a couple other people on our team and we fought Jeff and Ricky, the dragon steamboat and a couple of the red faces. A little while later, Chris would leave WWE. He'd come back feud with CM Punk. He gets that lengthy run where, as you said, he kind of disappears and comes back, disappears, comes back. You're not in the company with him at the time, but he is a bonafide top star and legend in WWE at that juncture. Even though you're not in the same company together, what was your relationship like with Chris? And I want to lead this eventually into his reception to the final deletion because I know he played a pretty significant role in getting some word out about that. Yeah, very much, uh, very much so. So uh, it, it was great. Like he, we had talked about, he he it contacted me after I started doing the whole Broken Mat stuff, right? And I said, oh man, this is like so intriguing. I can't wait to follow this up. And then he said, oh my God, he's created the best character in the history of TNA well, wrestling. Can I, can I stop you there right there? What did he see in it, do you think? Why do you think he was so drawn to the concept of it? But I, I want to say because it was such a stretch from who I really was. It was such a stretch uh, from anything Matt Hardy had ever done. And I think him being a serial uh, reinventor as he is, I think he was, I think he appreciated it, right? You know, I was taking a chance. We said that before. I'm taking a risk because, once again, isn't that what life is, John? A risk. Uh, I was taking a big risk doing the whole broken Matt Hardy thing. And, like, I know a lot of people when I first started talking with the accent and when I started – you know, using all these archaic words. And, you know, I told people I have these powers that are, you know, supernatural, whatever it may be. I, I just think he looked at me and thought it was very brave that I was taking a risk. And then like, once he started like putting the pieces together, of like, hold up, like, this is still not just like a traditional pro wrestler. This is like a, uh, a, a comic book type character come to screen that is like stepping in to the role as a pro wrestler. And I wanted my stuff to, create memes. I wanted to create gifs or gifs. I wanted it to be stuff that uh, people would send one another me doing delete, 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 or biting my teeth or whatever it may be. And I think he realized 
pretty early on. They're like, okay, people are like attaching to this and they're like jumping on this bandwagon and like he might have something here. And then once the final deletion went down, I had sent him a copy of this deal just so he could watch it because he knew it was coming up, right? Uh, right, right before it aired. And they happened to be in Japan during that time. And like him and Cena, they watched it and they went nuts for it. And then they like did specific showings where you have to be there at the top of the hour, you know, uh, of the four showings or you don't get to come in. Once we close the door and lock it, it's it. There were four debuts of the final deletion while they were in Japan. So it makes for a very fun story altogether. That's when they were in the Beast for the East show that they did there, I think. The pay-per-view they did over there on the WWE Network. Okay. So, yep. the, so they're right. out there doing streaming of the final deletion. And that's just amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. Uh, he, at this time, has this super, super amazing feud with Kevin Owens where they have a blow-off match at WrestleMania that you return at, at yeah. 33. The match is not what they hoped for it to be. Some plans changed. It was supposed to be the world title match and then it moves to the U.S. title match. But one of the more memorable feuds of the 2010s in WWE, the Festival of Friendship, I'm sure you saw that segment. Yeah. What you oh, think yeah. of their What do you think of their chemistry together? That's of course the program where Chris invents the list of Jericho, where he starts putting people he doesn't yes. like on the list and things he doesn't yeah, like. What, you just made the, the list. What What do you think of that? I, I thought I thought it was tremendous. I, I love the uh, Festival of Friendship, and I thought the stuff the the chemistry between him and uh, and Kevin Owens was just so so genuine, so natural, so organic. Uh, I, I loved everything they did together. I really really enjoyed that. But Chris is so great, Matt, and this is where I think you're going to really agree with me because it's the, that entertainer aspect and that storyteller aspect. He's so good at emphasizing story beats in his character's evolution, in a storyline. He knows how to hit those little beats that accentuate moments. For example, in the Festival of Friendship, when Kevin is about to turn on him, even to the way where the camera doesn't quite see that the back of the clipboard has the list of KO on it. And you right. just see that, that shot of Chris where he's excited and his face turns and everyone knows what's about to happen. And he says, how come my name's on this? And then he holds it up and you see the back of it says the list of KO. That's Chris Jericho in a nutshell as far as I see him as a longtime fan of the art. Where do you think he draws upon his influences in storytelling and how does he implement those in his programs and matches? Much like you said, how uh, by he was influenced by No Country for Old Men. I think uh, like movies, stuff in pop culture, television shows, and that's where, that's where I get a lot of mine from as well. That That's kind of what I would guess for Chris also. I think he's very, very much on the pulse there. Eventually, Matt, he becomes the... Biggest free agent in Tony Khan utilizes him to launch AEW. How significant, in your opinion, was Chris to getting AEW off the ground and on television? He was the Hulk Hogan of AEW. You know, whenever WCW made their run uh, and Hulk Hogan was this big name and then eventually they turned him heel. I mean, he, he kind of was the guy that was like, you know, behind the helm of the ship. I mean, he was the guy with all the star power. And he really like took them to another level, especially when it came to the NWO thing. But I think when you look at AW, I think the closest parallel you can really compare anything to is he is like the Hulk Hogan of WCW. He was the driving force there in the beginning. His equity for his name was significant, and he becomes the first AEW champion. 
What do you think about that decision to make him the first world champion where there's a whole roster of Kenny Omegas and Hangman Pages and top-tier guys who could have been champs, but instead Chris is the one that gets the nod? I mean, I thought I thought it was the right move. I thought it was a smart move because Chris Jericho is a is household name that people know. And if you're a new company and you want to be taken serious, you need to have a champion that people know right from the jump. But also, you know, I said that about how he's like the Hulk Hogan of AEW. Like, I feel like Chris is very self-aware with the way he should be utilized as com- compared to the way Hulk Hogan would have been utilized in that company as well. And I think Chris has done a very good job. He came in, he was the initial champ and then he's like moved into different things where he's continually supporting people. He's continually elevating people. He knows his role really well and like where he fits in. So you're, you're telling me that he's very conscious of trying to elevate other people and enhance other yes. people in his work because yes. that, that is one of the criticisms that, and I'm, this is me just citing the discourse on mm-hmm. wrestling social media that the Chris Jericho feuds right now in AEW tend to be a little long and sometimes self-serving under the guise of him helping others. But in actuality, it's just focusing on Chris. Now I don't agree with that discourse, but that is very common that I see on the timeline what do you say to that assessment? I, I mean, I, I don't agree with it. I, I think Chris always tries to do what's best. Uh, maybe not every single decision that's made is, is is perfect, but I think Chris is trying to do what is in the best interest of AEW as a whole. Yeah. I, you, I, you're I, always, I mean, when, when you talk about timeline and you talk about social media, you know, it, it's always going to be full of varying opinions. Even if you went out there and you were the perfect saint, you know, in every single way, there's always going to be someone that's going to criticize you about something. I think Chris is trying to do what's best for business. So, yeah, no. And I think he's doing it at an extremely high level. He's in amazing shape right now. He's, he's killing it as far as I'm concerned. And I think he's in a really good spot. Uh, Mm -hmm. How how influential Matt was he into bringing you into AW? Did he have any say in that? Yeah, he was, he was very influential. Uh, I started by speaking with the young bucks and then I also talked to him as well. And he kind of like gave me the lowdown as, how it works compared to like the whole WWE procedure and kind of like what we could do. Yeah. So him and the Bucks were the most influential. I'm going to wrap up our conversation here by asking you a question that is often debated among wrestling fans. Is Chris Jericho on the Mount Rushmore? Is he truly one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time? Because if you're talking longevity, there's very little argument to be had. He is among the greatest ever. Where does he sit in your opinion? Yes, I, I definitely think he is one of the greatest ever. I think he is in that conversation as far as being a Mount Rushmore. I mean, if you look at everything he's done, how you know he achieved what he could achieve in WCW, and then he came to WWE, and then he went all the way to the very tip top of the mountain. He helped kick off AEW. Uh, he's been a uh, a, a linchpin. He's been a, a cornerstone of AEW, and he's still putting in kick-ass performances, and he's still involved in a very heavy way, and people know the name Chris Jericho, and he is a huge contributor to pro wrestling, and on top of being a, a great wrestler, he's also a great entertainer, he's a great promo, and he's just so versatile you know, from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, th- without a doubt, he he is a name that deserve, deserves to be entered into the chat when you talk about the greatest of all time. Would you like to extend any birthday wishes to him as we wrap up on the Extreme Life, Matt? Of course. Uh, to my brother, Chris Jericho, happy 53rd birthday, which is crazy. It's so crazy. I feel like you're 
23 still. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I've known him now, like, going on 30 years, which is insane. 25 years, legit. Uh, but yeah, happy birthday, Chris, and uh, appreciate your friendship. Uh, appreciate uh, all the times I've got to work with you and hang with you throughout the years. And uh, I hopefully, uh, hope that we have many, many more great moments together and we, we break bread and we share brotherhood. As he said in his 30 years of Matt Hardy video, you're a big part of keeping his addiction to pro wrestling going week in yes. and week out. Really cool stuff, Matt. I uh, love getting a chance to talk about Chris here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. And I, I love taking a deep dive on some of your friends and a happy birthday to Chris from all the extreme life of Matt Hardy faithful. I loved having him on the podcast when we talked about stadium yeah. stampede, which you can go find in the archive. Hopefully we get to have him on again. We'd like to have you guys as part of our team here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. I want you to head over to advertise with promote your business to the extreme and get it out in front of thousands and thousands of listeners every single week here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, Matt, Another episode in the books, my friend. Anything you'd like to add here? No, that was fun. Uh, and once again, happy birthday, Y2 brother. Happy birthday, Y2J. The words have been spoken. We will see you next week right here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Dilly! Lost,